Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. My name is David and as often as possible, I have a creative come over to my studio in North Acton to have a conversation about their life and interactions with where they're from, their experiences in culture and creativity. I hope you're all enjoying the new recordings I've been doing. You probably get the vibe of how much I love this culture and making this archive of interviews that I hope you looked at into the future as a reference for this time really makes me proud. We're having some great conversations here and I feel really privileged and I'm gonna keep them coming. They're all hosted at f24podcast.com. So this week, I had the pleasure of meeting Roger Gatsman, the man behind the Beyond the Streets exhibition, which toured the US and is now over here at the Saatchi Gallery from the 17th of February. It's quite a groundbreaking show to be seen in our city. The show he's put together, to me, is kind of an amalgamation of his time and experiences and education within the graffiti culture and the broad depth that he's shown him. And that's perfect for an inquisitive person like me, right up my street. I've known of, and probably you've known of Roger from the books he's made, the shows he's put on, films he's made, magazines, interviews, and the various curations he's had his name beside over the last 20 plus years. An amazing body of work on a part of the culture that's really what I've tried to be about for the last 20 years also. And he's done it big, representing at a very high professional level. This was gonna be an education. I got a hook up on an email through another culture stalwart, the author and artist, Khalid Nilsson, whom I helped a little last year on a project he was putting together. And I knew Roger was in town for the show, so I hollered and he kindly accepted. I met him at the setup up at Saatchi's in a room full of people I've seen in photos and film and read about. It was quite a privilege. And then we took a walk to his Airbnb to sit down and have this conversation. This is some of Roger Gatsman's Bethesda, Maryland, Washington, culture and creativity story. Enjoy. This is F24. Um, if I get random gallery questions, I'll just keep answering and I'll keep, keep talking. Keep doing your thing, man, yeah. So, sorry. Not a problem, and I'll edit as we see fit. Well, wicked, Roger, man. It's um, really great privilege to get to meet you at last. Yeah. <clears throat> I've been following your, your work for many, many, many years. It's been a good, good base for inspiration for me and to know it's worth doing what I'm doing, watching you all these years. And this year, actually, I celebrate 20 years in business. And... Um, very proud and yeah you've been like a silent voice in my head all those years I'm sorry <laughs> but I think the good thing is I don't know much about you I just know a lot about what you've done and um, that's always a good thing because you can stay as that person and you always will be that person to me and I know we're going to get to know each other a bit more now but that that was wicked not ever meeting you not knowing you I know people who know you I've got friends of mine who know you you know everyone speaks kindly of you but it was good to not meet you and let me do my thing from here. When I met Khalib earlier, or mid last year online, he's telling me a bit about you. And I'm thinking, I think I'm on the right lines, man. <laughs> You're an inspiration. That's, you know. Thank you. Whether you want to be or not, I'm over here in the UK being inspired. So, let's start at the beginning. Where is it you're from? Maryland, yeah? Maryland. Oh, well, I was born in Canton, Ohio. Uh, I moved after third grade to Bethesda, Maryland. Um, it was a suburb of Washington, D.C. It's not really a suburb anymore. It's its own booming city. Has it grown into Washington, D.C., or is it, is it built, built the same place? It's the same place. I mean, it's just not as much of a sleepy suburb as it was when I was in, you know, yeah. the early 90s growing up. Yeah. And it's its own place. It was an incredible place to grow up. You could be downtown in the thick of it in D.C. very quickly. In the early 90s, D.C. was an absolute shithole still. Right. Um, Murder capital. Even though you've got the White House there. Yes. It was just... It was a complete shithole. When 5 o'clock hit and the government was done and most of the offices were done, 
it was bad. Like New but York bad? Like or how we hear about it. DC was legitimately the murder capital Damn. in the 80s into the early 90s. It was a ridiculous city of violence. But at the same time, there was so much creativity and culture that has very much still stayed true to DC. And most of it hasn't left. I've done several projects about the DC culture. Yeah. And it was a great place to grow up. I have so many close friends that are still live there, that I met there, that I still work with, even just friends I went to high school with. Wicked. Enjoy visiting. It's a place I could see myself living again at some point. As much as I can, I sneak it into projects. I work with friends from there and try and keep its story going. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. I do the same for Kilburn. I've got a lot of old kings from that area, from my area in Kilburn. And any time I get to slip them in, I do. The city's massive, like Washington. The city's massive. It's got a million stories everywhere, but there's nothing like paying homage to parts of it. Absolutely. Um, what was it in those early years then? In how do you speak? What's the city called? The place you were? Bethesda, Maryland. B E T H E S D A. What was it like finding culture there? And like finding hip hop, I presume it was the music. Was it music? Was it writing on the streets? Was it skating? What was the thing? It definitely that you for me had nothing to do with hip hop. Wicked. Uh, I love hearing that. Very early on, I can go back to thinking in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, getting tapes from older friends of bands like Naked Raygun, Mucky Pop, Sex Pistols, on mm. and on. Punk. Punk. And it quickly turned into hardcore. Yeah. There was a huge DC hardcore scene. I missed the early wave of it that I would have loved to see. But there were so many bands still. I got turned on to New York hardcore early on. We're talking, you know, 90, 91, 92. I'm listening to hair metal. I'm listening to punk rock. I'm listening to hardcore. Wow. I'm listening to current music coming out of DC. Very, very little hip-hop, I'm sure. So what was the visual part of punk then? I don't know. I'm a hip-hop head, like that's all I listen to. But what was the visual part? I know I can picture some bits, but what was that connection, the writing with that energy? There wasn't a connection where you would look at an album cover and say, oh, that's graffiti or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just what I was listening to. And it's what I liked. It's what my friends were listening to. And a lot of my friends then that were a little older than me, if I'm in eighth grade and they're in ninth or 10th, and we'd meet up at a concert or show, the, the subway station where everyone was hanging out, most of them all wrote graffiti. Mm. And that was just what they did. To me, there was zero connection between hip hop that just and graffiti yeah. for the first couple of years. It was all energy, and these people's energy was doing that as Kids well. were skateboarding, kids were writing graffiti. Mm. The same time, they you know they could be on the football team or playing lacrosse, but was there hip-hop in D.C. at the time? Sure. Is there hip-hop in yeah. D.C. or the area now? Absolutely. Go-Go music was the uh, prominent, yeah. like, urban black music of D.C. It was never hip-hop. It's still not hip-hop. It's still Go-Go music. Go -Go One of the few cities that appreciated and loved Go-Go music other than D.C. was London. Yeah. Um, most people, when I say Go-Go music, have no idea what the hell it even is. No, I love the fact that it's literally... It's only known in Washington as well. When I hit, when I listen to whatever I listen to, podcasts, whatever, and go-go music brought up, I love the fact it doesn't seem to have spread out. There's probably pockets around the country. Little pockets, but, but not uh, many. No. That's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but go-go was the theme of D.C. There was a massive go-go graffiti scene in D.C. in the mid-'80s, mm. which is, again, it's a whole other thing, which is not traditional graffiti, it's much more gang-related, but not necessarily gang-related. They call themselves crews. Again, a whole other story and we could tell. 
so but you're seeing that stuff as well I'm seeing some of that a lot of that's gone by the time we start and okay. we're hearing stories about it yeah. by a few different artists that have uh, sort of transferred over into our world but we're part of that world and we're like you're full of shit half those things aren't real that you're talking about and of course as mm-hmm. we get older we come to see and mm-hmm. learn and hear and research all those things people are talking about were real uh, but you going back to you know the inspiration you know, I'm sure I had a Run DMC tape, a Beastie Boys tape, yeah. um, things like that, but not deep hip hop cuts. Into the early '90s, a lot of my friends were into hip hop. They had records, they were DJs, what have you, and I was very familiar with it. But it was still not my choice of music to listen to. I'm still listening to a lot of the same shitty punk rock and hardcore I was. The first time I, I've, I've told the story before, but I feel it's important. Yeah. The first time I really remember having people say breaking hip-hop all of that i was in ninth grade it was probably 1992 it might have been 1993 i don't remember mm. it's 14 15 years old i was in chicago chicago had a curfew at this time where if you were under 18 you weren't supposed to be out you weren't allowed to buy spray paint you weren't even allowed to have spray paint in the city and we were at some illegal thc warehouse party the hash crew oh yeah um and I'm with a bunch of writers that are so old to me at the time, of course. You know, they're in their early, mid-20s. It was agent or ages from DTE, okay. um, AWR, MSK. He was yeah. a really important Chicago writer, COD he was in, and East, and a few other people like that. And I'm um, at this party with them. I had connected with them through an older writer in D.C. And it's late at night. I'd probably tried to do like one piece in my life at that point, right. done a bunch of bombing, was not very good at graffiti. And they're like, do you break? Do you break? And I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and later that night when we're at the party, I start seeing it and getting it and understanding what this is. And it's not hardcore kids. It's yeah. not a bunch of straight edge kids. And then it hit me. I hadn't seen Style Wars at that point. I hadn't seen Wild Style. Wow. And, and uh, you know, the next year I realized there was a lot more to this than my core group of friends that were straight edge into hardcore and writing on shit. I think that is, is, is brilliant about hip hop, about graffiti, sorry, that hip hop isn't all, it's the, it's the go-to subject, it's the go-to like, umbrella to put it with. But I love hearing when it hasn't been the key to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because I'm part of the, the, the exodus of, of graffiti from the US, it came to us as a package and then me being a mid 90s writer was when I started even more it was within a package so I'd already been listening to hip hop and graffiti came through it like when you there's earlier writers from the UK who get were all about punk Rolo 2 and Wilco and a few others from Camden they were all punk writers but were the, were the form it was the start of the UK graffiti scene that it's it's that other thing as well the fact that hip hop isn't the be all and end all of graffiti culture that it can be seen elsewhere. I mean, what happens after those types of parties where you realise that this thing's bigger than you think it is or, or thought it was and bigger than your group of friends? What was the, the seed that started to plant in your head to make you want more? There wasn't really a seed that was planted in my head that said, oh, I want more of this, I need more of this. It just continued to evolve. I had just as many friends that had nothing to do with graffiti but were just happy to know what I was doing and interested in it. And I had just as many friends that were into graffiti it was just what I gravitated towards. It wasn't like, look at that one person. I idolized them. I need to go do what they're doing. Yeah. I just enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed learning more about the city I was in, exploring. I really enjoyed the music I was listening to, my friends that were in bands, and having, thankfully, the freedom and the opportunity to go with so many of them when they would play a show in New York City or New Jersey or Connecticut or spring break, they would go play four shows in California, places like that, that I was able to go with them. And I just kept meeting more and more people. And this is of the era when someone else wrote graffiti, you'd run into them, you'd trade addresses, you'd start mailing each other pictures. And you'd learn what's going on in their city, mm. they'd learn what's going on in your city. Was um, was life outside of culture, because it sounds like you were heavily with culture, like school, education, all that type of stuff. What was your supposed day-to-day life meant to be as a adolescent in Washington? Like, was school not a thing? School was a thing. I went to school. I went to public school. You got um, it done. I got it done. I, but there was I, this, this part was with you already. I had a lot of friends that I went to school with. So a lot of people will say high school was the worst. I couldn't wait to get out of it. I hated everyone. I don't know anyone from there anymore. I liked going to school. I hated the learning and the yeah. homework and all of those things. But I had so many close friends. Yeah. And my school was right next to a subway station. So many other people would go up there to meet up and hang out. So going to school was never the problem. Staying in school for the whole day became the problem mm-hmm. because your friends would show up at lunch. When you would open lunch, you'd leave. You'd skip school. You'd go hang out in someone else's class. A lot of graffiti writers went to my school. A mm-hmm. lot of my friends that were in bands went to my school. We'd leave and go meet up with someone else at other schools. To think of it now, you know, you'd go drive to a friend's school at lunch break and then just like walk into their class and like that, <laughs> that wouldn't really work today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just so much freedom of doing things. I like the sound that it, it's it's culture that's holding you and your everyday life is just it's just full of it. Going to school to basically socialize find out the latest stuff absolutely we were yeah. going to school to socialize yeah i like that part of education and so much of what i do now in the last 20 plus years even going back to when i was in my late teens is education based and i would think my 14 15 16 teenage year old self would want to kick myself now in the head for having anything to do with education and teaching and all of those types of words. It's like, let's go steal shit. Let's go write on shit. Let's go cause problems. Don't explain anything. Yes. And now it's... <laughs> let's explain. Let's explain. Let's educate. Let's reach outside and celebrate this culture while there's so many people that thankfully are still around to celebrate it, isn't, it isn't that great, though? Like that, you know, being in school where you're meant to, you're meant to learn this thing and you're meant to walk away with all of this knowledge and push it out you rebel against that as a kid but your culture then brings you to exactly the same point it teaches you about understanding how to teach how to tell a story how to you know document history it's not stuff you studied for in school they want you to study for it in school they what they were there telling us all this stuff but we went off and did our own thing and you you end up being that person but you've learned you've got those degrees as such through the culture the amount of hours you've put in have enabled you to tell a great story about this or about a subject you decide to rather than it being from a teacher drilling it through. A hundred percent. One of the reasons I am so grateful, thankful and able to maneuver in the culture, have respect in the culture is because I was part of the culture. I was never the best graffiti writer. I was not the worst graffiti writer. I think I was okay. I think yeah. if I would have stuck with it, I would have gotten a lot better. I enjoyed it. I did a lot of illegal graffiti. 
for many years, not as much as most of the people I show, and I wasn't as good as most of them, but I could hang, yeah. and it worked. And I understood and understand, even with people that haven't done illegal graffiti in 20 years that are now serious studio artists, so much of the mentality yeah. of what they had to deal with or what they still deal with, and that is immature as you might want to say it is or not, old beef is still real. Mm. It stays there. It stays there. It's like history books though, isn't it? That's what history books do. They tell us about things that are unresolved at that point in time. 100%. It's wicked meeting you, man. It's nuts because I don't, I don't want to keep saying I'm very much like you. I, I, I painted subways for 10 years got a bag full of whole cars under my sleeve of London Underground tubes. I painted the streets for probably maybe five more years than that. And um but I was never the best. I was never all city. You know, I didn't do as many as the rest and I work with many writers that are much more hardcore than me. But it's the understanding I have of the culture has allowed me to do what I do. And they're quite a unique spaces and especially in the business you're in. The amount of people that come into this business, which anyone can come into because we're in a capitalist world, who then do a couple of years research and start professing the game and showing whatever it is, books, shows, you know, the million and one outlets that our culture can be, you know, sold through when it, when it hasn't come from 20 years plus of being involved in something, it hurts a bit, but it, not everyone can do what you do or what I do here. But it still hurts when I watch it happen. And so, yeah, again, back to that. It's, it's a pleasure meeting you because it's it's someone who really studied for the love of it, not for the... We end, I mean, now, as I've just said, the commission I'm on, the project that I've been on for three years, it's a big deal, it's massive, it's changing my life, all of that type of stuff. But I've worked 20 years of understanding, the, more, 25 years, 30 years of understanding the culture to, in order to get that. And the nuance that my client gets out of me is unique. You know, and it's only through being part of the culture that allows me to do it. Yeah, you have to just keep going and going. When did you make that first, like, see, I heard about you selling spray cans up, like nibs, mm -hmm. New York fats or whatever, was it? New York fat caps, Rusto fat caps, New York thin caps, a couple others, yeah. And we you were, were just boxing them up in a garage in, at your house and just sending them out wherever, small adverts in the back of magazines. That's right. And was that the first thing that you kind of found is like a little, like, this will keep me in the culture even longer. This will make me. I had plenty of hustles before I was doing yep. that. As most people yep. into graffiti were. But I started selling caps. I didn't start selling caps like, shit, I want to make a lot of money. Let me nah, sell caps. It's caps. <laughs> I was tired of the few places that you could write for them and sending them your money and not getting them getting them two months later, mm. having to chase for them, or them costing so fucking much money. They were, some people at that point in the early days, like a dollar a cap. I'm tired of going in the hardware store, the grocery store, yeah. wherever it was, and trying Open to take caps. them, but they were already gone from everything. Having to get the nail polish remover to clean them. I was like, let me just figure out how to get them. It's, again, a whole other story of how that happened. But I started getting them from the distributor, a plastics company. But that's the thing, it's, it's having that ingenuity to do so, but also another way to stay in. You know, it keeps you, it, it puts a, foot, a firmer foot in the culture 
and I'm looking at it just again through my eyes quite selfishly but like becoming a dad so young and having to make a decision about where I'm going to make my money it's using the information you have just and I, I loved what I did I loved what I lived as a writer I didn't want to leave the culture just because I became a dad and I didn't have a dad either so it was quite personal to me I had to be a dad I, I wasn't going to do this to this kid but I didn't want to leave my culture I still pretty whole cars till he was four I didn't stop but it was um, just that by by start, by doing that painting, by starting to sell paintings and opening that gallery and selling the materials, it was it kept me in the culture. And I think that, that's what I like hearing about. Just caps of all things, these things that are fucking, you know, pennies. And, well, I was still very much in the culture when I was yeah. selling caps. I started selling caps when I was in high school. I was 16 or 17 years old. Perfect. And my probably height of my graffiti run was probably you know, 16 to early 20s, as yep. a lot of people's yep. height of their graffiti runs are. Uh, and caps were fantastic. I made money from them. I could travel the country because of them. I traveled Wicked. to Europe multiple times because of them. I gave hundreds of thousands of them away to friends for free to keep causing damage and destruction Amazing. around the world. I got the price points on them lowered to probably 70% off of what most people had oh. been charging for them. I made it easy for hundreds of stores to get them at wholesale. I made it easy to get them at mail order. I actually mailed them to people probably within a week or less of getting their money. Wicked. I already had a connection to multiple people around the globe trading pictures. I had knew all the people doing the magazines at the time. It just made sense. It made me money. Yeah. I made real money from doing caps. It funded me doing magazines. It funded me traveling and my friends to paint graffiti. Um, I had caps. I was making cap money. How long did you sell them for then? Many years. years. Many years. Years. Yeah, it wasn't just a, a, a summer or no. two. No. Uh, of course, European spray paint yeah. and other custom spray paint started to become more of a thing. And then it became more of a thing in the U.S. Krylon and Rustoleum eventually changed their actuator system, which is what the name of a, the true name of caps are, is yeah. actuators, to female systems versus male systems where it made it much harder to control the cans the caps and the cap business became much more outdated because of that people were getting european spray paint even a lot of the vandals that will only steal things and the hardcore writers were still wanting that european spray paint so they would go steal shit and sell it and then go buy the european spray paint Mm. um so that changed and the cap game just kind of changed and it phased out through the last several years but it was amazing while it lasted it's a, a, a wicked like i just love the fact it's such a small thing that it can play such a massive part it and played that, a huge part without selling caps i absolutely would not be where i am like, yeah and no, i think that's what that's what's no so question but the thing is anyone could have sold caps if anyone had the mind to do what you did and they didn't and so by you doing it with your connections as well and the impact it played on the culture in America. And then hearing the folklore abroad here, and I'm sure it's the same throughout Europe. Yeah, very inspiring. And so that led to, and that helped fund your first magazines. Absolutely. Pieces. It funded my traveling, which helped me create a magazine because I had more connections and more cities. And what? why did you pick a magazine? What was it? Was it just more interest? Let me pull this together. I had a bunch of friends that were doing graffiti magazines. I loved magazines. I've been collecting magazines and zines from punk rock zines, hardcore zines to 
buying Spin and Rolling Stone, what have you. I just loved, I'd buy women's fashion magazines just to look at the photo shoots. I was just really interested in magazine culture. It was a great time. And I'd go to Tower Records all the time. Amazing. And I spent a lot of money on magazines and zines and printed matter. I had friends that were a little older that were graphic designers. I had this huge batch of photos from traveling. And I knew all these stores because I was selling them fucking caps. So, I don't know, make a magazine. I, I didn't have product. a better idea. I had been going to college for barely a year in Pittsburgh. I was fucking around, writing graffiti, stealing shit, going to parties. And I was like, this. I was smart enough to know it was a waste of my money or mm-hmm. my you know, family who was helping me go to school, money mm-hmm. and time. And so I went back, moved back into my room at my mom's house, started a graffiti magazine and went to school a little mm-hmm. bit locally. The magazine started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, not by design, by just because. Yeah, consistency. Um, it just happens. Friends that I'd ask a lot of questions to that would put up, <clears throat> put up with my questions. And uh, the magazine became my college education. I learned design. I learned advertising. I learned marketing. I learned mail order. Again, not because oh, I want to go take a design class in college. That might be cool. Fuck, I got to make this magazine. These people sent me these pictures. I just need to figure it out. How to put this together. Yeah. It was great. I love that. I love that. So then, still writing, still being part of it. When you got to do your first show, what was your decision behind that? What was your thought process behind it? Was it... The first gallery show I did? Or just something you put together in order for people to come and have a look at. I was doing a magazine. I loved my history of DC. I was doing everything I could do to find out more history of the city I was in. And I was going to do an article in my magazine about Washington, DC graffiti. It's basically like my high school yearbook in a sense. Got a little bigger, got a little bigger. Oh, it's going to be a 24 page article. Damn, the magazine's only 48 pages. This is a big article. Shit, this is going to be a special issue just about it. Okay. It's bigger. It's bigger. Got another batch of negatives. It's bigger. Found somebody else. Found somebody else. This guy just got out of jail. This person, you just got their real name. On and on and on. The tra- the the whole discovery process was part of and still what is so fun to keep discovering and digging. And through all of that, I ended up making my first book called Free Agents, which my friend Shane designed. It's fucking mess the type the text some of the design but you know what it's the story of dc graffiti and very few cities had stories like that at that yeah. time and dc was a small enough city where you could actually do that and make that happen and it was really enjoyable i had no idea what i was doing i got a ton of press on it because there was nothing else like that happening i had a friend who was a writer not a graffiti writer a journalist for while you were sleeping the magazine we were doing at the time and she had some friends that had a gallery in Georgetown which is the cool area in DC and I should meet them I'm like all right I've never been to gallery shows before I'd been to museums before I'd never curated a gallery show or thought about it I was like all right sure let's meet them be a great place to do an event for this book like pull up some photos a lot of these people are making art fuck it see what happens they were really great and Clark Fox put me the fuck on explained so much of it to me and without that show i would have not done my next show my next show and keep building so i have 
all credit due to Clark Fox for putting up with me, Amazing. explaining to me what we're doing with thousands of people through that graffiti show. It was unlike anything DC had seen. We had the book there. We had T-shirts there. The Corcoran, the you know big museum in DC, picked up pieces, some historical things. Fuck it yeah. was ridiculous. I have looking back at it at photos and everything. It was kind of together. I have no idea how it was, how we got it to go, but it went. We it did went. a show. We made a book. We made a gallery show that years later, in a way, morphed into a museum show at the Corcoran, morphed into more articles, morphed into more books, and it just kept going. That was the kickoff. Um, it was called Free Agents, A History of Washington D.C. Graffiti. And I have a little bit of a story about that too. So Free Agents is one of the first Washington D.C. crews. Oh. Started by Seven. Seven is one of the first Miami graffiti writers mm-hmm. in the very early 80s. He moves to D.C. to go to GW to go to college. And he starts a crew, Free Agents, which later Inkheads becomes a spinoff of Free Agents. I So that becomes a spinoff. Free Agents is sort of like the father crew to that. And I meet Seven years later for this book. I talk to him, and he's you know awesome person. Same thing, was in the hardcore punk rock, all of that. And he kicked off DC Graffiti and then, you know, graduated college and went away. That that was that. But he really helped kick it off. Of course, there were other people, but he yeah. he was an important figure. There was figure. some force behind him. Yeah. And uh, other people still run free agents to this day. It's wow. not as, of course, huge as it was, mm-hmm. but it's still a crew to this day. Um, that's represented a lot of people in Inkheads or in Free Agents. And uh, DK, who's one of the main people who leads or the main person that does lead free agents to, to this day. Um, I'm not great friends with him, but we're acquaintances, a lot of mutual respect. Yeah. And I ran into him last December in Miami and we were talking about it. And um, I probably bought it, brought it up. I'm sure I did at this point. I was like, yeah, I made a fucking book about it and kept it going. Why aren't I in the crew? I probably said something really <laughs> sarcastic like that to him. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, you are. So I was like, okay, I'm in the crew now then. He's like, okay. So that was kind of funny. And um, 27 years later. Yeah, 20 some years later, like teenage self would be, you know, shitting himself. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is funny. I'm just like sitting here talking shit. Here we go. So. Wicked. Did, um, did you doing graffiti start to slow down as your daytime life in, in the culture like got more I hectic. definitely started slowing down doing graffiti um, as I did the magazine more and more. Mm. Not because I didn't love graffiti, because no. I was still around it all the fucking time. Mm. Of course, I was living it. Uh, but instead of being out all night painting graffiti and stealing spray paint and coming up with something else, I was packing caps to go to a store. I was mm. sitting up all night trying to understand how to use Quark Express to get a magazine to the printer so I could do this or this for one of my friends. And I was I felt like it was more important um, for me to push the culture in that way and archive and tell the story than just being out writing it. Mm. It's weird though, don't you think, that call. I don't, well, I don't know if you get it, I, I still get it to this day the the want the need to go out and paint I just don't um, I still paint the odd piece legally but I don't go out bombing I don't go out painting illegally but I feel what I get out of my daytime activity within the culture and the representation of it is enough for now but there is a weird uh, it's weird because if I had just 
not opened the gallery and just continued being a hardcore writer and got a job all the things I've done since wouldn't happen the same with you it's, it, it's that hard decision and it seems like a hard decision but not if it happens I suppose flawlessly well I didn't make a decision to no. like I don't want to write graffiti anymore that wasn't a decision I made um, no that's the flawless decision. I was still yeah. around it yeah. all of the time I was in a lot of fucking scary situations looking back at it now and then it's like whatever but I would still go. I just sometimes don't always paint. I would take a picture or I would do this or I would interview someone while they were doing something or we'd film something because I knew I could always go back and paint if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't afraid to go do it. That wasn't the issue. Um, For me, I think it, I probably was a bit scared, if I'm honest. I, I, cut, I cut it close a couple of too many times and I think that being a dad as well was, gave it another element, I suppose. I, what else could I say about that? The, the last few times I painted graffiti, it was legal. It was with friends. I was fucking bored. I enjoyed my time with the friends I was with. Yeah. And it's not like I was the most hardcore writer and I do not want to come off like that. Mm. But... On a sunny day, being under a bridge or at three in the morning and being on the side of the train tracks, um, what have you. It was just so much more enjoyable. Mm. And after those last few legal walls, I was like, this is just kind of boring. Um, I can, you know, in the last probably dozen years, I've painted illegal graffiti a couple times. And honestly, I didn't even have that much fun doing it. Mm. Um, not where I hate this culture because no. I, I love this culture. It's just, I could, you know, be 50 years old and start writing again. Yeah. Um, last summer, is it, or the summer before, I don't remember anymore, I made a movie um, called Rolling Like Thunder yeah. about freight train graffiti in America. Amazing. I was in a lot of freight train yards. I was with a lot of people painting graffiti. It was great. That mm. was way more fun to me than hanging out at a legal wall. Mm. Hands down. I wasn't painting. I was documenting. I was telling the story. I was making sure the shots were getting got. I was watching out. All of that. Absolutely. I scribble on some trains yeah. and some things like that. But ton of opportunity to sit there and do it. But you know what? I had more fun being there, doing the act, and documenting the act. Have you met many people like you out in America? Is there more of you out there? Who, who? I'm not trying to single you out, but... I don't know. Do you think there's... I mean, there's people... I don't want to set out to do... What I did was the best or the biggest or nah. this or that. I want to do things that are highly produced yeah. that are for much more than just the graffiti community. Mm -hmm. When the graffiti community shows up, I want them to be excited about it, know about it, but still learn something from it and not feel like it's some dumb recycled shit that they all know about. I want them to be surprised. But I wanted to speak to the general public enough where they learn something and don't walk away hating everything. Mm -hmm. And I want to continue to celebrate the history but move things forward. Are there people like that? I hear about people all the time that are doing projects. People write me about their projects all the time. I'm not doing the best projects. I'm never claiming to do the best projects. I'm doing projects I like, I love, and I see way more holes in them, of course, probably than most people do yeah. because I'm on the inside of it. And uh, I hope the projects I'm doing make people want to go do 
their own projects. I know I can look at projects all day long and be like, why wasn't this in it? Why wasn't this in it? I can look at my own projects and say, I would have loved to include these 50 people. I don't have 15 more gallery spaces to include these people. There's yeah. realistically only so much space. I can only do so much. And I hope what I'm doing inspires people to go do more because there's just not enough room or time. It's like, uh, there's like, um, you, well, uh, to me, it would be people would be trying to catch up because I think, and especially with what you're doing now, I mean, these latest shows, this last, you know, three or four years, five years or whatever it's been of beyond the organization and the putting together, it's like the biggest, most concise shows we've seen that have come and, and especially come, well, definitely come from within the culture. And I think the, the journey to that is, is just all those years of being consistent to get to it. It's a very hard thing for any, there's no, there could be no one about now unless they did it at the same time as you, I suppose that could have that much sway. So going from, going from those magazine shows and free agent shows, what was your first gallery show? Did you pick an artist and work with an artist or did it just come by chance? Oh, you know, I could probably hook you up with this space and I'll give you a hand. Was there a little crossover? When was the crossover? Do you remember? I do. Now I'm trying to think of an interesting way to tell it. I just think, I think going from like, from magazines where you're telling and showing, you know, telling stories and showing a bigger picture of a, of a, of a, of a scene. And then I don't even know if you did, but did you zoom down into one artist at one point? Eventually I started doing some other shows with more artists. Was it outside of DC, so? I did a show called Player Haters in DC that had Ron English, Dalek, Richard Coleman, and Shepard Ferry in it. I started doing things like that. Not so, so not singular solo shows as such, more not event, curated uh, space, created shows. Yeah, they were more curated. They're, there's not a great moment if this is the transition to this or the rollover, now we're going to do this. Yeah. Eventually, years later, absolutely, I start representing artists and really thinking about art strategy and galleries, but. That's fast forward many years and a whole other thing. The gallery shows, it just kept happening. And then I made a book and then I did a show for the book. And then I did this and then I did this. Like it was just steady progression. Like you start a magazine that's 24 pages, turns into 36 pages. It turns into 50 pages. You had a section about music. Like you just keep adding, you know, once you know how to, you know, do a small trick on your skateboard, you do a bigger trick and a bigger trick. Uh, there was never, I want to represent artists and have this strategy of how to help them do these things. I want to be an art dealer. I want to do this. I want to do that. It was just all trial and error, friends that knew better than me what they were doing, and steady transition. Did um, did your parents then give you that, uh, that knowledge to just say, I'll, I'll just keep moving forward? Uh, my was dad it? died when I was young. My mom was really supportive of what I did i guarantee she hated that i was out breaking the law a lot and for whatever reason was patient with it um but did she tell you as a kid that you're capable in in men, in any way absolutely that was a, at, that was a vibe the, from the house absolutely at the same time i'm sure she would have preferred i was you know a oh, doctor a lawyer or like yeah. any mother wants their yeah, yeah, yeah. you know kid to go do uh but she was very supportive from the early days of helping me get a business account or yeah. explaining to me what 
and invoices and just letting you know you could do it exactly she was very supportive and helping me do so many parts of the business no matter how much she probably despised what was in the magazine i was doing or the vandalism that the caps we were causing uh, or the vandalism that the caps we were selling was causing is what i was trying to say but she saw that it was happening yeah and i was going in some kind of direction and it was working because that you know my my mum supported everything i did she you know she showed me a lot of love and told me i was capable of anything quite cockily you know it's quite brave of her coming from where we came from but it it really was a fuel to me not being too scared about making choices and i like the fact that there doesn't seem to be much fear in the decisions you made as time was going on there was obviously the i could go broke i haven't got enough money of course but the i'm still walking towards it i'm still that's where i'm heading i'm still going to do it like the fact that caps changed and the whole game changed and the cans changed and the this that and the other you didn't say oh all right, well now it's time to get a job there was already a crossover into the magazine and that started to take up your time and i just think that <clears throat> you know, the fact that there was no giving up and like to, to, to even go from like agent show to curating shows of you know two three four people without really slowing down in between I'm sure you stumbled on a Tuesday morning. I'm sure you did, but I just I, I like the fact that there doesn't seem to be much fear within your. You've got a lot of uh, conviction to your thought in order for you to, pro- to produce what you've produced. And my my thing comes from my mum. I know it does her support for me, and I wondered if it was the same for you. It's very important that type of support as a kid. And as a young teen, especially if you ain't got a dad as well, for the for a mum to be trying I mean, to teach I, you. I you know I had a good family unit. Like I had tons of friends that were super wealthy. I had tons of friends that lived in the hood, mm. and we were for where we were, you know, nice middle class. Mm. Um, for a lot of cities, we'd probably be upper middle class, and for but where we were, it was like just normal middle class. Yeah. Middle. Um, I very grateful. I didn't have to worry about you know where my subway fare was coming from or if there was food or if I needed a new pair of shoes, like I'm really grateful it was provided. Um, early on, I had a bunch of hustles and started figuring out a lot of things for myself. Yeah, so, but again, if yeah. I needed a pair of shoes, like my mom would get me a pair of shoes. If I wanted two yeah. extra pairs of shoes, just cause she would say, fuck you, figure out how to go get your extra two pairs of shoes. You yeah. have a couple in your closet and they're just fine. They're fine, exactly. You, know, like, you can do that. So it was, it was within reason yeah. um, what it was and that helped probably teach me you know the, I, I, the value I'm, of things yeah i'm kind of more talking about the parent thing rather than the value of it just like the, the love that she's had she had for you have you got any brothers and sisters just me yeah so i mean you know for your dad to pass i'm sorry to hear like it's left her in a really hard predicament yet she still managed to raise you like i i just think it's amazing like to come from you know to, to go through what she's going through as a human on the planet at that time and still be like roger I fucking don't like that, but you know you can do this of it. And I mean, I, I've never fully talked to her about it. I could. It's not like it's no. a secret for either one of us. But like, I partly have a feeling that she probably didn't even know what to do with me. I mean, if I was her, I wouldn't know what to do with me. Well, he's at least calling me and telling me where he is. Mm. Like he's writing on shit, but at least he's calling me. Yeah. Like 
first being like fuck you and you know like oh just a horrible kid like yeah, yeah we yeah. all have plenty of people that have been or know plenty of people that have been horrible kids and really bad so yeah. um i like that i like that you know that I, I i definitely feel like a lot of it was probably because of that but at the same time you know, I, it was we, what it was. We, we, we kept it going. Yeah, we kept it moving. How did you start to meet all of these, you know, I suppose they're artists, they're, they're from a different part of the culture. I know Shepard and Ron English played some, well, maybe not Ron, I don't know, but Shepard played some type of part within the graffiti scene, but then they became their own entities and their own style of work and a different thing to what was generally done in the streets. They were quite a new breed. How did you meet those people? Or was it just because of the magazine? And just like the magazine through mutual friends. I mean, I have could do whole podcasts and stories about how I met this person and this happened. I mean, I met Shep. I got my first Obey stuff from Shepard when his company was Black Market and he was up north on the East Coast. And uh, I was probably ninth or 10th grade. He was advertising some punk rock magazines. I got some stickers and Wicked. some T-shirts. And, you know, several years later, I'm doing a magazine and we have mutual friends and we connect. And we've been friends since. And we've published a magazine together, made books together, multiple projects together. We like all the same shitty music. It's amazing rise together. Yeah, it just, it just kept going. Putting those people together though, and putting on shows, was it? Did you see the difference between them and graffiti writers, or do you see a difference between them and graffiti? I writers? definitely see a difference between the street art and the graffiti. The lines have blurred so much the last dozen, fifteen years. But there's, if you know what the culture is, yeah. there's a massive difference. Yeah. I've also come to be less bitter and upset of people that don't understand what the difference is and just be happy they care and want to listen and they're interested. And if they think Shepard Ferry is a graffiti writer so and if they think you know the other graffiti writer is a street artist or they get the words wrong together, just so they're supporting the culture, exactly. So be it. I can, I, I can only sit there and try and explain it so many fucking times. Do you know, one of the, I don't know if you've had the same experience and don't talk about it if you don't want to, but one of the biggest issues I've had here when I was a gallerist was getting artists to produce work, but then also graffiti, sorry, graffiti artists that, to produce work on campus, which I didn't care what it was, but the fact that you're massive in the graffiti world, you're known here by, you know, Two, three hundred, four hundred thousand teenagers, but in the public who walk into a gallery, they don't know who the fuck you are. Well, going into the gallery from the street, you have to throw away your ego. That's and you're starting biggest, from scratch. Yeah, it's the biggest problem I faced in my gallery because I I, I shut the gallery in 2011, um, and I'd done shows after that, but the gallery shut in 2011, and. Up to that point, it was no to street art. I kept them completely set. I never worked with any street arts in the gallery. Banksy tried to give me a painting in my gallery and I wouldn't take it off him. I didn't know he was actually trying to give it to me. I thought he wanted me to sell it. Um, I was like, it's not what we sell here. It's not what we do. He was actually trying to support, which was stupid of me because it was the kissing policeman on canvas. But it is what it is. <laughs> um, I kept I kept to that. But the, the, what, the kickback I got from the scene because maybe some things weren't selling and you know but I'm, I'm this guy why aren't I worth why is this not selling that was so hard for me and I never because I didn't continue it to go to work with a wider range of artists within the culture like street artists I didn't experience the that side of it the gallery was fucking hard to run because it was strictly graffiti 
and I'm strictly selling graffiti while it's canvases. Well, to me, whether it's graffiti, street art, or your friend's cousin, that's an artist, whatever it is, I've learned it doesn't really matter. If the artist doesn't have the drive to create the work, you can only inspire and motivate them so much. Mm. And so many people, they'll go make, here's your watercolor, here's your charcoal, here's your picture of a dog, here's your picture of a race car, you look at it, it might all be incredible, but it looks like 22 different fucking people created mm. it. How am I supposed to sell that? Yeah. How am I supposed to market that? How am I supposed to build a story around that? Like, you're a great artist, but you need your thing. I think that's one thing. Yeah, that's that's an amazing point because and it's that word consistency. Is that if you can, I mean, my my early canvases, my whatever it's been, eighteen years I put down to painting canvases were all just a mishmash. It's only been in the last four or five years where I've actually found my style and I paint consistently now as an artist. I didn't before, and I watched it the same with other writers. There was no consistency in the work, and it was so hard to knuckle it down in order to present it. All the shows I had in the shop were, were mixed shows. It was only at the end I started to do solo shows where it was later in the culture, so people got it a bit more. Vibes, for instance, was one of the artists. He, um, you would bring a consistency to a show, which is then a lot more, a lot easier to make the public understand. It's the separate pieces and the ego from the writers. And but well, I'm this guy. I've painted fucking thousands of tubes. Why is this not selling? It was like one because there's only one of them, or maybe two paintings. And two, no one knows you in this world. Whereas if you could sit with it and paint, keep painting that thing for 10 years that you put I mean, in the subway, it would work. I hate to say it, and I get so much heat for saying it, but a lot of graffiti artists that were incredible on the street and helped push this culture to where it is, when they make art, it in a sense, this is probably the wrong way to say it, it's fan art. Yeah, It's made for the artists their friends and the kids that know their story. Yeah, that's a really... They're not making bodies of work. Yeah. It's once in a while they do it. And I'm happy they do it. So I don't oh, want to I be bitter it. that they do it. No. Because I've bought a lot of it and I still do and mm. collect it because I'm a fan. Yeah. And it's a I'm a thing, supportive though, to the public. Yeah. But it's a complete exactly it's a completely different thing to the public mm. because we have to then educate the public on what that person did. But if that person's not willing then to go build bodies of work around what they did, you're just begging them to make a canvas that's hard to sell. Yeah. So it's just really circular. That was definitely my mistake thing. in the earlier years. And I, I opened the gallery when I was 23 and I was just young, uninformed, and just had a bit of a dream to think I could sell this stuff. So I blatantly, it was a bit of a false lead for them themselves coming to me to sell the work because I didn't know the, oh, actually, we need more. We need, we need a body. I didn't know about that shit then. I didn't have any art. I didn't know anything about art. I just knew about how to put paint down. So there was a bit of that. But the problem is I still see it today. I'm not even in the gallery game anymore. And I still see the same behaviour. And it, it jars me. And what you were talking about earlier about what's going on in the States in some places. It, as I said, it was it's quite nice to hear well, because it, I always think we're it's fucked here. It's still the exact same behaviour. No matter who I'm talking to. Literally a friend's cousin or boyfriend or... Girlfriend of someone, it's the same thing. It's the same conversation. Yeah. Create bodies of work. Draw an orange 18 times. I don't care what you do. Learn how to document it well. Light it on fire. Run it over with your car when you're done with it. I don't care. But until you can build some serious bodies of work, a gallerist is not going to take you yeah. seriously. 
because you don't have anything to prove you can do this. It's weird, that, isn't it? What graffiti does to people, man, because you become such a sensation. You, you know, some of these people, some of these guys and girls become such a big deal. Sure. But graffiti is repetitive. On the street, if these artists went out and did that many different styles of shit everywhere, no one would know who they are. That's true. So when you go inside, I get it. It's something different. But you have to learn how to take that mentality of creating bodies of work. Mm. If you go do a different style throw up with a different name every time, people aren't going to know who you no. are. So you need to take that same repetitive mentality, that same mentality where you then went and documented it all, like, and get it. It's one done. thing actually I've said to writers before. I'm like, we we learned how to get up. We learned how to get our mm -hmm. name out there. We already know how to do this. What? Why is this not working in the gallery format? It's a very it's a strange battle. I think, it, and that's why I think it's interesting that, you know, by finding people like Shepard and Ron English and Dalek and people who had a bit more of an understanding and also could see what they were capable of. It's wicked you all found each other. It really is. It's been, it's been interesting. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still yeah, going. Bet. I'm still meeting new artists. There's different artists in all of these shows we've been doing. There's so many artists I wish could have been in this show. Um, while in the end, am I in charge and it's my brand and I can make final decisions? Of course. But you know what? I'm trying to, and not I'm trying to, I am empowering a lot of the people I work with. I'm empowering my partners to help make a lot of those decisions of what makes sense curatorially, yeah. financially, timing and so many things because in the end i'm only one person uh, and if this doesn't keep moving and getting bigger why are we doing it and if i'm the only one doing it and i have to make every single one of those decisions i'm not going to learn and i'm not going to grow right. so while a lot of my friends i'm sure upset at me that they're not in this show it's not because i don't like them right. it's not because i don't respect them they've been in other shows they're in other shows coming up but if all of these things keep going there's different people that are going to be in each show, yeah. and that just kind of is what it is, and it's and not always my decision in a sense. The point is as well is that, well, it's obvious the way you've played it is allowed for this longevity, so just bear with me. And I'm, I presume had you got all the money in the world and all the work, you know, the team, you would have the show with all the people, whether they were gallery-worthy or not. And I know you're not saying they're not gallery-worthy, but whether they were or not or... You know, you would have an extra 15 rooms to show. Absolutely. If you, if you had all the money, you would do the thing. But you're, you're working within a business and, you know, you've got to build it. Do you remember what it was or was there ever a point or are you still waiting for it to know that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Did you realise, like, fuck, this, this show we've put on with this bit of sponsorship and, you know, this merch sales, this actually means I can now... It's still a struggle. Yeah, doing the actual beyond the streets shows these massive shows are not necessarily financially beneficial for me. No, uh, they pay your bills. They pay our bills to yeah. keep going. Yeah, it's the other projects we do that actually really pay our bills. The beyond the street shows, education through entertainment, is you could say almost an internal slogan, mantra, whatever you want to call it. I like it, and that's what we're doing with these shows. Of course, we have to bring in dollars and cents to do these shows. We have to charge ticket prices to do these shows. Um, the amount of costs of venue rentals, shipping, production, planning, setup, strike, 
shipping, insurance. Mm -hmm. I could go on and on. It's safe to say what we're doing is 70 to 80% production, 20 to 30% creative. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way these things work. Yeah. It isn't the other way around and it can't work at all the other way around. I mean, you can do so much the other way around. You can do so much. But it shows how, I'm sure there was a point in your career, and especially in the earlier on years, where it was 70% creative and it was only 30% production. I'm sure that's what it was. But if it stayed like that, you wouldn't be in London today. Exactly. You, you have to make that change in that bend. I think it, I, I loved, you know, I just, what, what, what's capable with the stories <clears throat> and the artworks from this culture are, are amazing. <clears throat> and I hope people understand the nuances to it and i'm glad you're saying these things about putting shows together and how hard that is and as you said that i realized yeah of course if he had all the money of course he would show everything of course he would he's that guy but yeah you have to run a business and so you run a business alongside these gallery shows an agency of sorts which is kind of the bread and butter to what can backbone beyond the we, streets we currently have two galleries in los angeles oh, wow. a retail store we do multiple projects, artist representation, private art sales, multiple different things And we this do. is you with your team? This is me and I have a great team that supports and works with me and checks me on things all the time and makes what I do happen and makes what I do better. When did you start? When did you think you needed a team? Do you remember? Same thing. It's been a, a slow process of having you know one or two people and helping me for a few dollars an hour to growing. Um, and there's, there's a big team now. Do you remember, did you have to be brave in order to make that decision to have someone, or did you just ask someone, like, I really need, I need a hand on this? I'd always ask for help, and it would be somebody helping for a day, someone asking for a few hours, or some, I would always ask for help. It'd be someone for a day, a week, a few hours here and there, just depended on what the project was, and it yeah. just got to the point where you look down and, damn, I have 15 people on payroll, and, 20 people that are part-time and this and this and damn this is scary so many times a day literally i'm like how is all of this working yeah i'm so confused i'm so grateful <laughs> but confused but i'm so confused all right let's keep going there we are yep huh did you get any business advice along the way i definitely had advice from a lot of people through but the you years didn't concert concertedly go and get business advice no amazing I mean, I, I always asked lots of questions yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. watched, but no, there was no business plan to what we do. I've always found it hard having, I had, I had four managers at my gallery over the 10 years I had it. And um, I hire everyone who works for me. They're all self-employed and no one works for my company. But then my son joined two years ago. He, was, he called me up one day, he's like, I'm coming back to London, can I have a job? And he's never wanted one with me before, but he joined me. And it's it's blown my mind having someone work with me. <laughs> I'm, I can't believe how fucking great it is. And I really want to learn more and trust more to get people to come. Because, yeah, I can't do this all by myself. The amount I do by myself already is quite fucking insane. And I'm, you've been there. And, I, and I, I know you're still there. But having the trust... To, to build a team yeah I'm still doing way too many things by myself but my team is doing more than they should be doing anyway As so I'm well, not going to yeah. ask more of them and 
just bring it, oh, go hire three more people. Well, that costs more money, and then you have to onboard them, train them, and most importantly, no matter how much money you have or don't have, make sure they're going to mesh with your team and everybody's going to like and respect each other. That's one of the hardest things to do is make sure everybody can get along well enough and respect each other. They don't all have to be best friends and go no. out on the weekend or after work every day, but they have to like each other. Yeah, same aim. Exactly. Um, but it's... Putting together a team and keeping a team together is not easy. I'm looking like it's definitely, and especially as my business has grown to what it is going to now, where it is now, it's definitely much more of a, an effort. I'm, I'm not. It's not an effort at all. I'm lying. I, you know, I, I want to make the effort. I need to make the effort because I, I, I've, yeah, I just need help, and it, it's, it's good hearing. That you if know. you believe in what you're doing, you're first one there, last one gone. Take out more trash and probably the least paid. I'm fine with that. Because it's my life. I've, I'm fine with it. As long as I can keep it going is the main thing. That's no, continuing to push working through it. Mm. I, the amount of low times there have been, thankfully, are nowhere near as many as the high times. Yeah. This is definitely your life now, though, isn't it? It is absolutely my life. And uh, whether you might find a similarity in this, is it can be anything now as well. Any of your interests could be brought into... Is that the Any of your interests can be brought into the... Absolutely. Yeah. I know we're jumping everywhere. So look, this this show and like the Beyond the Streets theme, like the whole thing, did it come off the back of just all of these things you'd put together? Disco dance uh, show. Working on the Art in the Streets show at MoCA oh, yeah, is course. what sprung many other things I did. And that sprung into Beyond the Streets, which is another two-hour conversation but yes but so but art in the streets did they approach you or did you approach they approached me wow amazing amazing and so that enabled you to then bring together this massive show yes which is kind of a first really wasn't it it was the first the first of anything of its kind yeah that was brilliant man absolutely brilliant and spoken about worldwide amazing 220,000 people came through it fuck it was ridiculous. Gee, quarter of a million people. Almost. Basically, this, yeah. Yeah, this is before uh, Instagram. People are still on blogs. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And so that led into what those, those few shows after and then Beyond the Streets is kind of like a cousin of that show then? Basically, Beyond the Streets the cousin of Art in the Streets. And then the Beyond the Streets in L.A., is that permanent then in your galleries? I have, in Los Angeles, we'll start there. In Los Angeles, there is two galleries. One is called Control Gallery and one is the Beyond the Streets Gallery. They're next door to each other. Okay. There's a door in between the two. Nice. There it's about 4,000 square feet of exhibition space and about a 500 square foot gift shop and our offices in the back. Nice. It's a permanent flagship space. It's not a walk in Saatchi Gallery or go to New York and walk around 100,000 square feet and be, holy shit, you're in a museum space. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice, clean gallery space that allows us every eight weeks to be able to do manageable projects. Wicked. Wicked. And then what gave you the idea to think I could bring this to London? In 2020, Saatchi reached out to me. Wow. Saatchi Gallery, uh, the director. Yeah. And we had a great conversation. We talked about doing the show. I came to visit. Boom, COVID hit. We stayed in touch. Here we are now. We knew we wanted to do LA. We knew we wanted to do New York. 
the next city we wanted to do always originally when we were just planning this in our heads was London. Amazing, right? And thankfully, we're here and we're doing it. And we, by the time this is airing, it'll be on. Or maybe it'll be over. I don't know when this is airing. So I'll get it out soon. I'll get it out before. Definitely. And it's uh, it's a show that a lot of people in the graffiti community like to bitch about because their graffiti heroes that are localized might not be in it. Uh, They think it's just a show of their history of their city. It's not. When it was in L.A., it wasn't a history of L.A. When it was in New York, it wasn't a history of New York. If I'm in New York or I'm in L.A., I'm absolutely respecting those cities more and telling more about those cities with those artists. And when we came to London, there's more London artists in the show. We're telling more about London or the U.K. in general and respecting it. Mm. But it is a survey show. It is not a history show. It's not solely a graffiti show. It's a show about rule breakers. It's a show about mark makers. And it's a show about all of the things that inspires them. And so, don't don't tell me. I don't want to know what's next. But there's obviously, because of the scale of what you do, there's a future. There's more to come. You don't have to expose any of it. But we can be rest assured that there's more to come. Beyond the Streets has expanded my thoughts on graffiti, street art, and all of its tentacles. Well, I was so bitter at all these cities doing these mural projects and all these people using all these tools that they learned from graffiti, all these tools they learned from street art to make these murals and then just being called street artists. I came to realize that I need to embrace it and love it, whether I like the art or not, because without that, the culture, again, is not going to continue to grow. Graffiti mm-hmm. and street art wants their own subcultures. We all know all have zillions of spinoff subcultures at this point and it's anytime something becomes probably a billion dollar plus industry which there's no doubt if we made some chart of how much all the spray paint companies are making Mm. how much every company that did a graffiti campaign or street art campaign uh, every stencil kit that you can go buy in the art store paintings that are sold based off of the culture or because of the culture artists and the culture it's real it's an industry yeah it's massive so it is what it is i love that And I continue to learn from it and realize that there's so many other artists that we can work with that might have never done anything illegally that have helped push this culture Mm. and they belong to be part of the culture because without them pushing it, we wouldn't be where we are. I think that's that's a, a super valid point and it should be etched into stone because I think some of the fears that will start with graffiti writers because it was the essence had was that street art or whatever this thing was was going to take over and it's proved and up to today with your show now you've got a list of names on there that are graffiti writers they're not all graffiti writers but you've got graffiti writers in the biggest show this side of the world has seen so just calm the fuck down not you people calm down graffiti graffiti will never change kings will always be kings queens will always be queens and they will always keep making them you know, we never thought in this country, well, maybe I didn't, I never thought we'd ever get anyone bigger than Tox. I thought, and that map I showed you, it's 1980 to 2000 on my map, but the centre of that map, at Oxford Circus, is Tox 01. Because everyone there made him. And then for the next 10 years, Tox was the man. And I literally thought, that's never, ever going to get beaten. And now we've got 10 foot. And we've got a slew of other artists that are along that level and nearly in that vein and and 
uh, mindset of being that type of writer. It's never going to stop. So don't worry about who these next people are. <laughs> don't worry about who the person who's just painted Harvey Nichols, for instance. There's always, I mean, There's I, always. I say it over and over again. It doesn't matter what the fuck the rules are. There's always the next group of kids don't give a shit and there's going to be thousands of them yeah. all you need is a dozen of them to, to hold it down yeah that, that will rock a city yeah. completely rock a city and keep that essence of what we love let, let 10,000 kids every six months get into graffiti yeah. and let a dozen of them keep it up yeah. and you're going to end up spitting more out every month yeah spitting more out quitting spitting more out going into it and then I think I suppose now people can maybe just step back and make the decision like okay so you want if you want to sell work you want to make money well you can see the blueprint on how to do that now and you know how to cross over there's some information for you to learn the culture and I, I, look, we're talking about a growth within you know a culture that's got a, a very young mentality so it's hard to get that genius out of them or that understanding we've, we've got writers in this country and i'm sure you do in that country who are you know 45 50 plus who have still got a very much a young person's mentality about mm -hmm. what they do but to me that it won't grow from that stage it will always grow because there'll always be fresh blood coming in it will all the culture will always grow and change but i just find the the stubbornness of of writing it'll eat itself but i'm wondering whether a newer generation look just by seeing 10 foot in the ft this weekend that's quite a big thing. We said, no, it's a, it's a fucking massive thing. And it's so nuts that he's the most up in the city and has gone to that. It, it's so nuts how, I know a generation or two ago would never have done that. One, never gone into the FT, but two, never cared about who was shown in the gallery. And now there's this, there's another essence within the culture at a certain level that we would have never seen before. And it will keep changing and amalgamating as time goes on. But the, the scene's just so massive now. And like you say, how can we hate on... As I said, I said no to Banksy because I didn't sell street artist work. That made sense in the mid-2000s. A bit, maybe. I'm going to give myself a squeeze. Yes, I lost a lot of money, but I'll give myself a squeeze. It made sense not to work with street artists in the mid-2000s. Had that happen to me, and actually when I opened my London gallery, which was my last gallery, I contacted him again and said, if you want to donate, I'm more than happy because <laughs> I'm grown now. <laughs> he said no. But... Um, <laughs> I, I love what you do and I love what you're doing because you haven't let, and I don't even know if you got it, but you haven't let the culture that you love and you still love to bits dictate what you're going to do with yourself and how you see art and the cultures. cultures. Um, I think that, that forward move and stuff's amazing. If, if I let all of the people that are upset at me dictate what we're doing, the culture is not going to grow. No, exactly. And a lot of those people that are not in the shows right now, that have been in shows or will be in future shows, mm -hmm. or are in some shows coming up, like, I can't keep telling everybody's story every time. No. And uh, the other part of it is, the culture evolving, they may say, fuck the culture evolving. The thing is, it's inevitable. It will evolve, with or without you. So, relax. If you're mad, go make your own fucking shows, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's that too. Yeah. I've had, like, when I opened the gallery first, my, I had my, that one location and my windows smashed four times over four years. Just by some arrogant bumpkins who thought what I was doing was wrong. 
I'm still doing it. It made something out of me. It made something out of David. The graffiti writer who they were ranting against or railing against. Yeah, cool. He doesn't paint trains anymore. He's not part of that part of the culture. But I'm still David doing this culture thoroughly. Mm-hmm. It, it will. You, we've got to allow ourselves to be open-minded and grow with it and not carry the jealousy that happens, the inevitable jealousy, where we see an art form growing. Yeah, I think what you've pulled together, man, I'm really excited about seeing it um, next Thursday. There's a, there's a lot of fucking stuff in there you're going to need to go a few times. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Thursday, there'll be so many people in there, you won't have people to see half of it. Thursday's going to be a much more of a social visit, I can imagine, but just having that as the background whilst you look getting through people. Three floors. Three floors. 15 galleries plus public space in between each gallery. It's fucking stunning. It's a lot. That is, it's, I mean, it's the biggest. You've blown out anything that we've had. Yeah, I had a dream. It's the closest I got to that a few years back, as I was sailing you in the street out there, <laughs> which never occurred. But this is this is amazing. And um, one last question: by working with people, do, do, this whole understanding of artists in general, and not just having to worry about this illegal core just let artists be artists and work with them what's it like working with people like Sarchi or the mocha it's just a lot of back and forth you know you got to remember a lot of these bigger places they're buttoned up they're used to someone with here's the perfect checklist of this touring museum show this is exactly how many um square feet of this or this linear square feet of this is needed this is the exact size of the crate down to the weight these shows don't necessarily work like this there's a lot of moving pieces uh no matter how famous some of these artists are in our world unless it's cause invader banksy or shepherd fairy probably you know most people don't know those names so you have to be patient you have to explain why things are important and work on it you obviously offer a very professional package though in order for that to happen that's wicked that you can respond to a call like that from the director of Saatchi and be like yeah I can entertain this I'm thankful they trusted us but I mean that's one of the reasons we've been able to succeed is I can go hang out in the bad bad places with the sketchy sketchy people and feel at home and enjoy myself and hold my own and then uh, go go deal with what we need to do over here and everything in between it keeps it exciting. If that isn't where you're from, finding culture and creativity, I don't know what is. Because what you've done is amazing. It's really inspiring. So, Roger. Thank you. I really appreciate that time, man. I know no how problems. busy you are. Um, Thank you. We're doing our best to just keep it moving, and we hope people come out and support, and we hope people are inspired to want to go do this shit on their own. Well, I love that. Super appreciative of getting that conversation with Roger. It's crazy what passion and effort can bring you, eh? And if you have the passion, you're more than halfway there. Roger wanted and actually needed Caps to fulfil his and his friend's passion to paint graffiti. One thing led to the next and within 20 years, one of America's best-known museums, the MoCA, is calling to ask him to create a show on the culture he loves and represents. Amazing. You know, even though this show right now, I presume, is one of the hardest things he's had to pull off in his career, I loved hearing about him getting Caps out to customers within a week of an order spending hours figuring out Cork Express to make a magazine of his mates. Those first shows, even meeting writers and finding out what breaking is. It's the journey, I love it. It's real inspiring and explains, it shows you what's possible. You can do it, whatever it is. Mix some passion with effort and the journey starts. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. 
I'm looking forward to this show. 15 rooms full of show and artwork from the culture from around the world with some Londoners on show too. It's quite a historical time to be witnessed and experienced. Go and check it. And until next time, love your city and love your culture. This is F24.